Anders Brownlee. I'm Scott Barstow. Anders, it's been too long. It's been too long. So you, uh, between the last show and this one, you've had uh, a major life event. That's what I hear. That's what they yeah. keep telling me. That's what I keep the word on the street. in the middle of the night. That is the word on the street. So I had a, a little daughter. Yeah, that's big time. Number number one, number number uno child. So she is, uh, she is, she's doing well. She's going strong. She's keeping us up. Yeah, it's pretty great. Awesome. Pretty great. Yeah. So we need to. So we need to start this show by talking about Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, Twitter not doing well. It is not doing well. It's been uh, – there's for sale rumors. There have been yeah. companies that are supposedly interested and they've all at least as of now backed away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as recently as I think yesterday or today, Disney backed away. Yeah. They were a potential suitor, which I thought was a bit strange anyway. Agreed. Yeah. But uh, the I think there's a couple of things I'd like to talk about with this. One, uh, why do you think – We've talked about Twitter a few times on the show. And why do you think they continue to be in trouble? And then the second is, why do you? Th- uh, what kind of company should buy Twitter? I thought Salesforce was an interesting suitor uh, when uh, when the whole rumor mill started spinning, as it were. I thought they might actually be an interesting company because I felt like of all of the companies, well, let's talk about this first. Let's talk about the companies that were supposedly interested. So you had Disney, you had Salesforce, you had, mm-hmm. of course, Google uh, was rumored to be interested. And the I don't know if you feel like this, like I do, but it, my concern is that somebody's going, whoever buys it has a really good chance of ruining what Twitter really should be. Sure. Yeah, agreed. So, uh, Let's talk about, first of all, what is Twitter? Back in the day, I don't know if you remember, but Twitter was growing like a weed. And we would see the fail whale pretty much regularly, uh, you know, which basically meant the service was falling over because just the sheer size. And then they brought in Dick Costolo, who said, you know what, moratorium on great new features, we're going to make the service stable. And he did exactly that. And the service is now very, very stable, and you don't see fail whales every other day, but the innovation train has has stopped. Just yeah, it's ground to a, it's ground to a halt. Yeah. So what happened was they got up to about 350 million users, and they've been plateauing there for a while. And you can complain, but you have to understand, like. The complaints with of Twitter originally were that it would never stay up, and now the complaints are well, it stays up just fine, but it it just doesn't go any. Nothing new happens. It's really just kind of in stasis and uh, showing its uh, it's very long in the tooth and showing its age. So, so here's know, my answer. Can we not have a happy think, medium? Yeah. So is, is, I think I actually like the fact. Uh, you might find this surprising, but I actually like the fact that Twitter has sort of become this thing that it is and hasn't tried to be all things to all people. What I what I love about Twitter and what I've always loved about Twitter is that it is the closest thing we have, in my opinion, to democratize news uh, as a platform anywhere in the world. Yep. And, and you don't get uh, – and obviously it depends on sort of who you're following and all of those kind of things. So you can create your own vacuum or echo chamber if you want on Twitter. But if you're if you're careful about who you follow, 
And for instance, like if you're a, you know, if you're a hardcore Republican, you can still follow Barack Obama and all this stuff that they make that so easy to do and, uh, and so painless that you can sort of get these nuggets of information from so many different kinds of sources coming across your bow every day on whatever topic you want. And if you set aside all of the the stuff that's gone on lately with like the the shut the shutting down of uh, what's the Breitbart guys, yeah, um, you know Twitter account because he was, uh, you know, all the stuff that's gone on with banning users and the you know so-called sh- uh, shadow banning stuff that uh, is or may or may not be happening. Um, I the thing that I've always loved about it is that it's just this kind of neat organic open forum to just subscribe and contribute. And, and I feel like, uh, you don't have that with something like Facebook is much more of a closed platform in order to get any value out of Facebook. You really need to be a user and you can be, uh, you can do, you can do, you can get a lot of stuff off Twitter without really being a user at all. You can, a lot of the, almost every bit of content is public with the exception of direct messages between users. Everything's for public consumption. And I don't know. I just, I, I'm concerned that, uh, somebody's going to, if they don't figure out how to sort of write the ship on their own, I feel like somebody's going to take it and take it a completely different direction. And we'll have lost this, this really cool source of information and, yeah, you could say you, you might make the argument that the Arab Spring doesn't happen if Twitter's not around. Mm-hmm. And so how many of those moments are we going to lose in the f- future if the wrong company snaps up Twitter? Right. So that the valid concerns for sure. I don't think Twitter is a um uh is gonna remain as it is. There there will be changes, there will be uh, you know, the the hope is that the core platform remains at least the same after a sale. If you have a company, it really depends on who buys it, right? Presumably if Google buys it, which would be the best in my opinion, you, you would, you, you get a, Google is not really a, Google is kind of like a, a company that owns a home, well, Alphabet is a company that owns a lot of different companies and they kind of all operate independently. It's kind of like a giant incubator in a sense when they have a pro- a profitable entity such as their ad serving platform they use that to you know basically subsidize many other services which would be the the hope here but the problem is of course all those great you remember google sets you know this website no. you go to and you would it's it's really interesting you would type in like a bunch of words that had some similarity to each other and Google would suggest a whole bunch of other words that were within that set. So if you said red, green, blue, yellow, Twitter might suggest orange, black, you know, other colors. Just kind of figure it out from the the suggestions. The Google made this this, uh, you know, I don't know if it was a Google Labs thing. It was it was just a a tool that you could have. It was called Google Sets. And it was great, and you would use it kind of to find synonyms, and and it was very handy. And uh, they killed it just one day, and and that's the worry here that Google would uh, yeah, kill a Twitter, and presumably they wouldn't just kill it outright because it's kind of something that 
stands on its own two feet already, but it, you know, in the long run would, I would worry about something like that. But, you know, Google bought YouTube and YouTube was in the same kind of dire straits. They had a bandwidth bill. They were never going to be able to pay. And they were, if they didn't get bought, they were going to fall over and that was going to be it. So, of course, Google came in and purchased the property at a pretty good, you know, value. They didn't, they didn't fire. That's a billion them. dollars. Remember, it was yeah. a huge deal. That was a huge was at deal. At the time, everybody yeah. thought billion dollars. Crazy. For YouTube. You're crazy. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's paid for itself. Right. And, right. Times. It, it, absolutely. And, and uh, I don't know if you remember, Google had Google Video at the time. And they, they, they shuttered it when they purchased YouTube. And they've done this kind of a thing a number of times. They've had internal projects that didn't quite work out. And then they buy the big competitor or the, the you know, kind of the, the leading uh, product out there. And then they run it. So Google, you know, history-wise might be really great. The, the you know, you were mentioning the Salesforce move kind of, Interesting. The question is, what would Mark Benioff at Salesforce do with a Twitter? Would he run it as its own sort of independent company? I think probably not. No, I don't think so. I think he would look to integrate it into all of their other services, yeah. just like he's done. It'll, it would become you know, Salesforce social or something like right. that, just like they've got Salesforce marketing platform, Salesforce this, Salesforce that. Yeah. I think eventually there would be, I think there'd probably be a honeymoon period. And then eventually, you know, it would start It'll to take the on yeah. the, the, a different shape entirely. I don't, I don't know. You talked about Google a little, or Alphabet, I guess would be the, the proper, at this point, it would be Alphabet that would be buying it. Yeah. And I don't know. I just, I have a, I don't know if it's a healthy or an unhealthy mistrust of uh, the moves that they make. They always, you know, they, they, as you said, they tend to shutter products and, uh, and don't really seem to have a lot of regard for the collateral damage around doing that. And I get that sometimes you need to shoot something in the head. It's not that, but I don't know. I don't, I just wonder if, if they bought it, that it would, the product would morph into this thing that's really in service of them getting more ad revenue. And that would, it would become a, you know, just a place where you now see a bunch of ads in your stream and, and they would just change the character of it. But I think to your point happening already, maybe. Yeah. But it's, it doesn't feel, you don't see a lot of ads. It doesn't feel, you know, strong armed. Yeah. And I, I, they do it. They, and maybe this is the problem, right? Is because they clearly can't, they clearly haven't figured out a way, uh, you know, to, at least as far as wall street's concerned, adequately monetize the product and make it into a viable business. I wonder something I've been thinking about for the last you know few weeks that this has been on, been in the news is I wonder if, uh, if Twitter shouldn't have remained private. Yeah. And I think if that, if, if we were, uh, I don't remember when the Twitter IPO was. It 2011, 2012. Yeah, I don't so it was around then. Yeah. I bet if if they're in the same shape they were in then today, I bet they don't go public because no company, there's hardly any companies going public now. Twenty thirteen. Yeah, they're raising a bunch of money. You know, company like Uber is raising you know just hundreds of millions of dollars and never doesn't look like they're going to go public anytime soon. And I wonder if. 
uh, if Twitter had been allowed to, if they hadn't had to go public to raise money to kind of grow the grow the platform and all of that, I wonder if private wouldn't have been a better route for them. Yeah, no, it's easy to say now, but they. Uh, so I I was wrong on the 2013 thing. Uh, I'm just reading a story that says how in 2013 they went below their IPO price. Um, I, 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 I don't think, oh, no, it was November 7th, 2013. Yeah, sure enough. I don't think you, you know, it's easy to say that they would, you know, they would have done things differently with less scrutiny in cer- or, or, I should say the scrutiny is always there. The question is, what is the time horizon for the scrutiny? And in a public company, it's generally by the quarter. And right. with a longer-term uh, outlook by the investors, you could imagine it would be uh, better now. However, would they still be in existence if they didn't have an injection? Uh, no, I, would, I don't think they would have. But if they, I yeah. guess my point is, if in 2015, if, if you they could were snap the same your spot they were in in 2011, yeah. Yeah, right. with the opportunity to either go public or stay private, yeah. I think they would have had the opportunity to raise enough money in private markets to stay private. Yeah. And I don't know. It just feels like the pressure, the revenue pressure from, or the earnings pressure from Wall Street has really ratcheted up. Um, you know, this sort of urgency to make make a decision about what happens with it. And I don't know. It's, it's for me, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a sad story. Although, you know, I don't, maybe the, maybe to your point, maybe the problem that they've, that they've really had is that they're not innovating. And they, and really, if you think about what's the most innovative thing they've done, it's, it might be Periscope or Vine might be. Sure. You know, yeah, probably those two products are the things and neither one of those has really had any impact at all. And I mean, not anything you don't see. You're not seeing, you know, hundreds of or, you know, tens of millions of people, you know, periscoping every day. And sure. it hasn't become it hasn't become a thing. It hasn't and become a thing for sure. It was a flash yeah. in the pan in a sense. But yep. the, think about what the the real problem is here. You cannot. You cannot uh, have a successful global product and rely on the people like you and me. We're kind of early adopters. We have a very special, like, for example, everyone I know is on Facebook. I'm not. I never post on Facebook. I have a baby, and I never post on Facebook, and I get angry messages saying, you know, uh, where are all the pictures of the baby? And, like... I just I don't use Facebook. It's not what I I Facebook doesn't solve a problem I have. Apparently it solves a problem that the the vast majority of people out there have. I'm just not willing to go there. Twitter on the other hand meets a meets a strong need and is is a very obvious uh, has very obvious value for me. It does not have value the way it does for me for your typical Facebook user, yeah. your, your typical Facebook user. I mean, their life is there. That's like, everything is all out in the, they keep them in touch with all their friends, et cetera, et cetera. Like I have no, I, I never look at Facebook. I have no idea. You know, everybody kind of, they're following their, their high school friends and this and that. And I, I just, I'm sorry. I don't, it's just a very different, uh, uh, thing. And at the end of the day, you got to, 
you're going to win where the people are and the people are not at Twitter. They're, they they kind of you know hit a plateau and have never been able to break it. So for whatever reason, it's just not something that people are all dying for. Could they yeah. change that? Yes. But well, here's the thing. We're haven't. talking about a product that has what, like 350, 400 million users, and yeah. we're talking about it like and we're saying that that's relevant. a failure. Yeah, isn't that insane? That <laughs> is. Uh, you would be happy with a million, you know, twenty yeah. years ago. Yeah. Well, you'd be happy. I mean, if you started a service today, you'd be happy with a million users today. Yeah. Well, if a million users is kind of like back, let's say around the first dot com bomb crash thing a million users was breakout yeah it was now, huge now a million users you kind of need a million users to show basic viability 10 million users yeah you're starting to starting to break out 100 million for sure you've broken out so it's somewhere in there but it's yeah, not at a million right. users yeah. a million users is kind of nothing but uh, if you and i started if you and i started a company and we had a million users using it well, we'd be doing all right. We'd be yeah. well. It depends on the thing. If it's a mass market consumer kind of thing, yeah, then it we would be. still right. have something to prove. But you know, yep. a million users is great, and you can kind of, you know, you can show that you've gotten sort of somewhere. But you, you still have a lot to prove because everyone has a million users now. Uh, whereas a, a while ago, you know, fifteen years ago. A million users, if you had a million users, you were one of the biggies. And that just has to do with the fact that so many more people are online today. And and what resonates with them is drastically different than what resonates with the uh, early adopters. And uh, the case in point here, I would argue, is the Apple Watch. Y you, you have all of the early adopters kind of poo-pooing the thing and not, you know, they kind of panned it and they're not really using it. But I, this is a product I see absolutely everywhere from the uh, flight attendant on the airplane to... Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's everywhere. It's insane. It's everywhere. And, and you, if you were to listen to the tech press, you would think that the Apple Watch is a total flop. But at the end of the day, like, it's, it's just... Uh, it's an absolute powerhouse. I mean, Apple is the number two watchmaker in the world. The number two. I mean, this product yeah. in didn't the space exist of what two, three years? No, a year. A year. Gosh, a year and change, crazy. right? Yeah. I mean, it's a year and a couple of months. So, it's 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 just. I mean, you got to get out of the tech echo chamber to to see what's going on in the real world. And and frankly, in the tech echo chamber, Twitter is huge and Facebook is like, meh, whatever. That's you know, right. I'm too cool for Facebook. But in the in reality, everyone is on Facebook and like very few are on Twitter. And just, just yeah. talk to like I talked to my niece. She's she's like fifteen. And what she thinks is cool and useful and interesting and kind of, you know, what what what's on her home screen? Are those are the things that? Well, are. Snapchat for sure. Snapchat, is on there. absolutely. Yeah. Snapchat Snapchat's number one. Huge. No question. Yeah. Yep. Snapchat, and she's you know, there's a whole vernacular around Instagram. Yep. I'm gonna Insta this, you know, and and of of course Facebook is somewhere there, but it's it's a vastly different home screen than I have on my phone. 
The stuff I have on my home screen, well, first of all, I have the number one app on the iPhone across across all, you know, kind of bounds is the messaging app. Oh, my uh, gosh. iMessage. Yes. It is yeah. the most used app by far on the phone, just regardless. Um, yeah. It doesn't so matter what your age is. That's right. And, it, That's and right. it's true of uh, it's true of my parents at age eighty, mm-hmm. and it's true of of my kids uh, in their teens. Right. The message app is uh, central. Yeah, it is. Number it one. is the lifeblood of everybody's existence on the phone. Yeah, it absolutely. And it, is. to the point where, when my daughter's uh, when my daughter's phone fills up, when her space fills up, she will go and remove every picture, but will not remove her chat history. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's, that's huge. Yeah. So it's it's, huge. And it's, so I, it's curious to me. uh, So I've been thinking about this a lot and I'd love to get your, your take on this uh, switching gears a little bit. So the, I was, I've been reading this book and, uh, and it's uh, the book called the seventh sense. And the, the premise of the book is that we're going through uh, the network age is as big of a disruption as the Industrial Revolution and all these kind of markers in history, uh, the, Ref- the Reformation, the Enlightenment, um, the Industrial Revolution. And we're living in the per- in this period of where networks are turning everything upside down. And so he goes through and talks about the implications of this. And But one of the things, one of the points he makes that I thought would be interesting to talk about on this show is – how disconnected people now are. So one of the th- premises of the, of the of the book is that if you don't understand how networks work, then you are uh, bound to be controlled by them rather than being someone who controls them or is in a place of understanding how they work and can sort of move in and out of the networks you want. If you rather are someone who doesn't understand how the technology works and how networks work and networks being a generic term, not just a computer network. But in this case, we're talking about computer networks, but he makes the case that there's this gap of knowledge that didn't exist. Let's say, uh, when you were, when computers were primarily a yeah. command line interface, yeah, right? Hobbyist so, geek thing. Yeah. yeah. So you had to know you were sitting at the, you know, you were sitting there at a bash yeah. prompt or a C prompt. Yeah. There was nothing to tell you what to do. Yeah. And so you had to understand kind of the mechanics of how a computer worked. Well, you had, to, you had, you had to, to know what you could do. You that's right. Discover it. That's right. And so what I thought was an interesting point uh, that he made is that as uh, if you if you think of Apple as a closed network and all of the gear that they make is very close. For instance, when we were first buying computers, you built them all yourself. And if something broke, you replaced the part by yourself. And, you, you know, you got in there and you unscrewed the hard drive. You put another one in and you did all this work yourself or a lot of people did. Yeah. And now it's gotten to the point where machinery doesn't even allow you to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't get in your MacBook Pro and yeah. change something out. It's all solid state and you like you can't do the kind of work that we used to do. Mm-hmm. And so his hypothesis is that because of that, we've all gotten people are walking around with these unbelievably complex devices in their hand. And they have no idea how they work. Yeah. 
And the ramifications of that are that you don't know how to insulate or protect yourself from the threats that those devices now yeah. you carry your life around on this, you know, three by four device or whatever it is, two and a half by by four device, and everything is there, and you are completely accessible to those who would want to do you harm. And if you don't understand how they work, then you are just constantly making yourself um, sort of vulnerable, if that makes any sense, uh, much more vulnerable than you would have been if you were, you know, if the phone had a Linux command line and that's how you did everything. Yeah, it'd be a very different kettle of fish. And I thought it'd be interesting to just talk about that. Yeah, for sure. So I, I, I worry about being too crotchety and saying that kids nowadays don't understand how things actually work because the same was true of me when I was young. Now, granted, the things that I was concentrating on were very, you know, they tended to be like I was taking everything apart and like building electronic things. I didn't exactly have the math behind the electronics, but I I started at some kind of a level and then computers became part of my life and I was tinkering with them and kind of moving up and moving up. And so I have that background of, of how these things work and where, you know, what, what, like you said, importantly, what the threats are with these kinds of things, essentially how to, how I would protect myself uh, with these things and where the dangers are. Um, there is a line that I, you know, didn't go below as well. And I had a bunch of people saying, well, you don't know how to, you know, read the, like the color bands on a resistor. You can't tell me that that's a 10 K ohm resistor. Uh, you don't really know how things work or something. So yeah, there is interesting. Everybody yeah. always has some kind of a level, right. That they, that they've started from it and, and they go up from. So, I don't like uh, a a kid that is just kind of entering adulthood now it has a just a he very tight relationship with their phone and social networks that it allows them to access and allows them a way of life and a way of using these things that I will not have because I doggedly avoid Facebook, for example. I I understand that they're, you know, they're experiencing things and getting things that I don't get from these platforms. Maybe I know the background a bit more, but I don't, uh, you know, live in a social networked world. The right, way but do you they do, do live in a networked world and always uh -huh. on? So your device is always on, right? So they, you effectively... Um, I guess the, the point is a bigger one, which is it's not just about social networks. It's about a networked world where um, your device is always accessible from, you know, for anyone who might uh, be able to discover it. And I guess the the question I would ask is, do you think that someone who's 15 and doesn't really care about computers but loves their iPhone, do you think that they need to understand you know, how the internet works at a basic level and what the threat vectors would be to their information? Or is it okay 
to protect or to sort of seed control to companies like Apple and say, look, I'm never, I don't really care about any of this. I'm going to let, uh, I'm going to let Apple who runs, you know, just this massive network of information and devices. I'm going to let them worry about it. Yeah. I'm going to say, no, I, I don't think that you have to, you have to know. And the reason is because, uh, like where I was going with my discussion is for example, my, uh, my, my cousin's son, this is a, a guy that I've, I mean, he's, he's a great guy. He's kind of, I've always had a connection to him because he's always been into technology since he was very young. And, uh, you know, we kind of talk about things for, for many years. He was very interested in making music for games. And this is a, this is a sort of a, uh, an industry that did not exist when he was first talking about it. The major, uh, the the grad school that covered game design, for example, was just a couple of years old at the at the time. This is not. This is you know most people would never think. Oh, there's a graduate program for game design for building you know games. And, you know, now budgets for games are on the order of at least Hollywood and probably more. So you can imagine that there's this huge blossoming industry. This kind of thing just did not exist 10, 15 years ago. But it is it is absolutely, you know, central. And now, you know, making music and doing sound for games, in other words, specializing in area where the area didn't exist 10 years ago is a thing. And I mean, he's, he's got absolutely foundational things he's learned about how you do that and what that medium requires and all at a level that I do. I mean, I'm not a game player and he always has been. And uh, so I don't share that fundamental thing, but he, where he's diving deep, is an area that didn't exist when when he was, you know, uh, five, right? That's exactly where I was. The areas where I've dug really deep were not even a thing when I was five, when I started to play with computers for the first time. So, when you know, you just inject another 10 years or something of professional experience. So he's, you know, he's in the starting to get into the professional world now. You inject 10 years of that, and he's going to be a very sought-after hot property because he's focused in an area that didn't even exist before. Another example of this would be uh, Lars and my 12 Byzantine Rulers podcast when, I mean, we did a, first of all, a history podcast, and uh, a history podcast focused on an area that nobody was talking about. You might have been talking about the Roman Empire or something, but Byzantine history at a time when uh, Apple's iTunes didn't even have podcasting. So of course, when podcasting became available, we were like, you know, there's, we had no competitors. We were competing against nothing. And now fast forward, you know, how many years we are now, uh, you know, at least 10 years since Apple has had podcasting in iTunes. And now there are like four or five Byzantine history podcasts on, you know, the, the, the area is just a huge panoply of, of, 
uh, subjects and topics and, and podcasts. I mean, it's a very big universe now. So, I mean, of course, we, we stopped working on that project. But had we continued to work on that project, I'm sure it would be, you know, kind of at the at the top of it. And arguably, my uh, cousin's son, CJ, will be the the sought after property because it just didn't exist before and nobody cared about it while he was getting extremely uh up to speed on it so do do i think he needs to know everything about you know oh uh expense of uh you know different sort algorithms in computer science no does he need to know how to program C and, and, or assembler or write a compiler like I had to do back in the day. No, I, I, I think he can take that for granted. He can take a, a level for granted that I could not take and therefore dive deep and spend that 10,000 hours becoming a master in an area that was not even a thing before, because nowadays, you know, it, it's, it's taken over, Hollywood in terms of uh, dollars is uh, a whole brand new industry. So that's my, I mean, what do you think about it? I don't know. I think it, uh, the book has, has, has pricked some thoughts about, uh, you know, when, and I think maybe it's, maybe it's more real when you have, you know, a teenage daughter walking around, you think about all this, all this, all the things that might happen. Yeah. Um, so maybe that some of it is just like, holy smokes, you realize what you're, and maybe I take it for granted and I, and I take the precautions that I know she's not taking, right? So she's mm-hmm. not – she probably doesn't have strong passwords on her account as, as much as I might beat her over the head with it. She probably doesn't do the things that I know to do just because I grew up – I've kind of grown through this period yeah. where you went from, hey, you know, computers weren't even connected to each other to – now they are, and now there's this, you know, now there's this vast treasure trove of information that you can get to where, from wherever, and you, we've gone through this. I've gone through some of the school of hard knocks that you talked about, and yeah. so I have a different perspective. But I also understand, you know, your point is a great one that because uh, if one of my kids were to get interested in, you know, building applications or, you know getting into our AI or deep learning or, you know, who knows what, or music, like you were talking about, um, they don't have to, the toolkit that they start with yeah. is so much better that it allows them to be, they don't have to do all of the, it's like, they don't have to build the foundation. They can just work on the building and they can just, they can build the thing that they are, they can just picture it and do it rather than saying, well, I'd really like to be able to do this. So I got to start, I got to dig, you know, 40 feet into the ground and go down to bedrock and understand, uh, you know, how a building's supposed to sit and worry about earthquakes and all like, they really don't have that concern anymore, but they do have this other concern of, of not really understanding necessarily what they're carrying around. They're carrying around something that's more powerful than, you know, than a computer was 10 years ago by a long stretch. Sure. And so, uh, anyway, it's, a, I, I, it's an interesting thing for me to think about of just the ramifications of the, I think what it comes down for, for, it comes down to for me is you being selective about what networks you trust and you touched on Facebook uh, you know, you don't really use Facebook and I don't either. 
And I think the reason for me is that they've shown themselves in many occasions to be untrustworthy. Yeah. They've changed privacy policies. They've done things that just make me say, huh, I'm not sure I want to put all of my pictures on Facebook because then they can use them to market to other users. And all of a sudden, some person I don't know is seeing a picture of my kids. And yeah. mm-hmm. so it, they've caused me to think about, like, who do I trust? And getting back to the Twitter thing, I've just never had those concerns with Twitter And maybe it's because it's a more open network. Uh, It's just you know that anything you do is going to be completely public and it's okay. But it's this issue of – and I think about this in in conjunction with like Snapchat. Like the amount of trust that you have to cede to Snapchat because they're seeing – you know, in many cases just like these – they're seeing so many moments of people's lives – and it's not just text. They're actually seeing video and pictures. And like it doesn't take much for them to do, you know, to become a bad actor and do things they shouldn't be doing with all of these pictures. And I don't know. It's just a it's an interesting balance of who do you trust and then, uh, you know, and how long can you trust them and what are the kinds of things that you should trust them with? And I think that's an yeah. It's something that you have to – it's a different way of thinking about teaching your your kids or whomever or people around you. If people who don't live and breathe this stuff every day, like getting them to understand that, look, when you, you're opting into something and you're – what you're saying when you log into Facebook and put your life on there is that you're trusting this network yeah. to do no harm and – you know, is that always going to be the case? Probably not. And so how do you, how you may, I think it's, it's now we're, we're entering this really interesting era of those choices that you make are to be, are going to become more and more important. And that's why I think something like blockchain, uh, is, um, becomes so important is because it gives you almost, it gives you a different kind of control when you're participating in a network, right? Because you can, you can fine tune, what gets shared and what doesn't a bit more granularly, uh, with, a you know, with, a with a technology like that or a protocol like that. So anyway, yeah. so I, I, I agree that we do need to educate kids on what the risks are because, you know, when I, when I was a kid, I'm just walking around, sitting around, you know, I'm kind of happy go lucky, not really thinking through, the ramifications of absolutely everything I do. So it's good that somebody says, you know, you, you just be aware of what you're putting on here because X, Y, or Z, it could be used in certain ways, et cetera, that it, it's good to have. But I, when you, you know, that I think I totally agree with. I don't agree with, you know, you have to understand absolutely everything I do about how the network works, how this works on a protocol level, what, the uh you know how how much we rely on dns and how easy dns is to spoof uh you know in especially in an open wi-fi network so there's there are things that like i don't think you need to know how that stuff works you just need a healthy dose of realism about what your risks are going to be if you decide to use certain uh networks and um, you know, what, what, if you put your information out there, how it could be, 
used. Um, so all right. I'm, so let me let me ask it in a different context then. Let right. me ask it in a different context. So uh, with uh, with machine learning and AI, and you have these you know computers that are getting more intelligent and able to sort of anticipate what users are doing. And one of the things that uh, the guy talks about in this book is that, and I think we're starting to see some of this for sure, is that the people who can do that kind of work, so the very best of the best in artificial intelligence and deep learning and all of that, they have this, uh, they have an order of control that, the average person will never have and never understand about how the network is operating. So does that give them, and there, and the guy talks about the fact that uh, you have top notch uh, computer scientists now being paid what an NFL quarterback makes because there's so few of them in the world that the this, it's, it creates this unfair advantage for those who can and that's there's nothing wrong with having an unfair advantage, of course. But is it um, are we getting to the point where the complexity of what we're creating is so overwhelming that it's if you're not living and breathing in that world every day, that sort of all hope is lost and you would never understand it anyway. Whereas the internet is not, you know, the internet as it was originally formed and just the network itself is not that complex of a thing when compared to what we're doing today with sort of the best of the best in computer science. So, um, do you think that we are, do you, do you think we have this, is there a risk that, uh, those who can do just the, you know, the top level kind of computer science work today, or do they have this, uh, level of control and, um, and influence on how we make decisions every day and the things that happen in the everyday world, do they have this outsized influence that's now sort of net new to the world we're living in today? Um, I don't really, uh, I mean, so, so you're saying that there is inequity in somebody who has kind of, you know, serious technical chops versus, somebody who 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 maybe doesn't to the degree that an NFL player versus a you know kind of the high school football player uh who will probably play his last game in high school and uh that that'll be it uh you, you well, know yeah i guess it's more it's more of this is so you have uh, if you're at Google or you're at Facebook or, you know, you're at some company in China working on artificial intelligence or you're working on a self-driving car yeah. or whatever the like the very kind of bleeding, bleeding edge of where we're heading, does that does that person they're designing these systems that start to make all sorts of decisions for us. Right. If you think about the ramifications of all the decisions that get made in a self-driving car, let's say, and the engineering that goes into uh, to making all of those decisions the right way and influencing, effectively influ influencing human life um, through a series of decisions that a computer will make for you as it's blowing down the road. Yep. Right. So if you extrapolate that to whether it's IoT or uh, you know whatever you know, pick your pick your uh, pick the thing that you know you care about or whatever. 
but do they the, are the people who are writing the rules for the next you know five years or ten years of how we're going to live and interact with computers do they get this outsized influence over the shape of the world sure yeah. sure yeah they they get an outsized influence over the shape but with that comes a responsibility to do it right. And I think I had that outsized shape back in, you know, 94 or whenever, uh, starting out with the web. So I, I don't think that like that doesn't scare me. I'm sure that, you know, people will do, a uh, you know, do a good job at the end of the day. Will there be huge problems and will there be? Yeah, sure. People are going to be run over by a self-driving car, I'm sure. Um, but these are or you're going to have somebody that, you know, you're going to have somebody in, you know, Iran that's going to turn loose some, you know, craziness on the on on the Internet. That's you know, it's going to be completely destructive. We're going to have those moments yeah, where. True. Yeah. And, and where like warfare is really. Digital warfare rather than – and it's already going on. Yeah, it's already going on and, and the, the biggest target right now for that would be IoT devices. Right. Have, you know, there's just no incentive to keep these things uh, security-wise up to date. And so you have these you know, 10x-sized botnets, 100x-sized botnets uh, because you have all these IoT devices that you know, use you know, horribly. There's a, this one story I was reading about some 12-year-old – open SSH bug that was <laughs> exploited recently oh my God. Uh, to, to bring Gosh. on, you know, like 10 million uh, IOT devices to attack something or other. And, and, you know, you sit there saying, well, th I mean, that's so easy to, to fix. Um, so I think, you know, there'll be growing pains, et cetera. I think the thing that, that really, you know, uh, to our discussion earlier also uh, that, that gets really interesting is, uh, I guess you call it artificial intelligence. It's kind of hard. It's kind of a loaded term to say artificial intelligence because as soon as we can do something, it is then excluded from the term artificial intelligence. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I hate it too, but it's a way it, to talk it's, about it. It's a topic. thing, right? So, so let's say, you know, self-driving cars or, or, uh, you know, for, for lack of a better term, like a, uh, uh, an assistant, like a chatbot assistant. And I'm not yep. talking about Siri. I'm talking about something that uh, it may be what Siri becomes, but uh, I'm talking about something that retains context and understands in the long run. Do you see that movie, Her? I have not seen it yet. I need, I need to. It's yeah, on, it's I think it's on really, Netflix now. really, really so. interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's basically a computer that will talk to you and remember the conversations it's always had and you effectively build a relationship with it. And that to me is extremely exciting. Like I can imagine kids, my kid, maybe by the time she's, uh, uh, uh old enough to, you know, kids nowadays are, are, you know, using social networks. I would imagine they will be interacting with, uh, artificial intelligence or, you know, whatever the chatbot is going to be called and building a long-term relationship with a, with a program essentially and building this, uh, multifaceted, 
you know, just kind of the way you would build a relationship with another person. They, they have a memory. They remember you, you get into, uh, you know, shorthands of ways to communicate and ways to say things. And they, the, the machine knows what you like and you know, uh, you know, what, how to how to impart your thoughts very efficiently because you just work it out over time and not by typing on a keyboard it's always just this kind of a uh, uh spoken communication that you're doing or or a thought communication maybe so i think in in the long run that's what programming is going to be that's what you know life online is going to be it's going to be interacting like that now of course the the only things like if you look at all of the apps on the iPhone that are really uh you know heavily used they have everything to do with communicating with other humans that's so right i would imagine so you know like the the uh, messaging app i mean it's basically just you can text anybody in the world that's what that's about facebook anybody in the world you can see what they're kind of up to uh, Snapchat, same deal. You know, all of these things just are ways to get to other people, and that's what uh, that's what makes them super interesting. But I think there will be a um, uh, some an interjection in a sense of uh, agents that uh, are are really just computer programs that you talk to and create a a relationship with. But they will be much more capable in some areas than a human would be. Like, for example, just by speaking to them, you can program. Like, imagine if this, then that implemented as as Siri. So you could have this conversation with Siri and say, remember the trigger that we set up last week that, you know, that uh, shoots me a, a message that tells me what the weather is. I don't know, whatever. Um, if, if you could have this kind of two-way relationship, so then... You know, does it matter that you don't know how to actually code on a text screen with, uh, you know, four loops and, and uh, curly braces? You know, no, because no, at the end of the day, yeah, you can get the things done at probably light speed compared to somebody who's writing a program that gets compiled, et cetera, et cetera. Especially if you've created this relationship with a computer over there, you don't have to conform to the academic definition of how to write an object oriented or a functional program, you can just come up with your own way to impart your thoughts and, and handle logic and, and do all these kinds of things just by talking, just as you would talk to somebody else and tell them what to do when this happens or that happens, you could, I mean, that will be programming. I'm very interested in when we get there. So um, I totally have forgotten what your question was. But no, I, I think it doesn't matter either, because I, as you know, on this show, it doesn't really matter. It, we just kind of blabber and, and yeah, it's, that's all, right. it's all So we've lost, we've lost 90% of the audience by that's now. Right. That's right. We've wasted a perfectly good hour. But I do, th but I do think that to close out your thought, I think there's, and we have a little taste of this now. I think series a, is a really bad implementation of what we're of this about idea, to, but it's of this idea, but it's, it was early for its time. Yeah. Right. So, and, and series, you know, Siri, whether it's Siri, Google assistant, they all, and Walt Mossberg wrote an article, I think it was last week in, in uh, on recode or whatever, but he's talking about the idea, like why do none of these services preserve state? Yeah. And so it's like you start over with every conversation yeah, and every, every, time. Yeah. every sentence is a new conversation, which makes no sense yeah. given all of the things that we, that you can do with a text-based chat bot already. 
right? So you have you have these chatbots that can preserve context and they kind of know what you're doing. And you can have a little, you know, you can have a five minute conversation with a bot to, let's say, buy tickets uh, to a sporting event or whatever. Yeah. And you can't do that thing. You can't do that same thing with any of the voice stuff yet. But we it's obvious that we're going to get there. We're going to get there quick. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a really fun time when you're walking, you're sitting in your car and you're just talking to your car about, hey, you know, I'd really like to can you just book me, you know, a reservation at blah, 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 and we'll be there in about 25 minutes. You know, can you do this? Can you do that? And it's just this really neat, uh, it's just like walking through the house and having a conversation with another human where there's no question. I mean, you've got, you've got an echo in your house. I do as well. Like these, these things are very close. And yeah, it doesn't mean yeah. it's going to happen next year, but we're not, we're not five years away either. Well, right. I, I, I would think next year is probably where we're looking. And as a matter of fact, I was messing around with the uh, Amazon's SDK to try to figure out how to actually do this, even if it were something very, uh, very uh, uh, targeted, like uh, just to build an, an if this, then that in uh, Amazon's SDK. So you could say, you know, we'll list the programs that I have and then, or it will list the, the decision trees that I have. And it could say, well, you got five of them. Uh, this one is called, uh, you know, I don't know, send me the price of Bitcoin every morning. Um, and, and then you could just say, okay, we'll rename that to whatever. And then in that one, change this to that, like that kind of a thing to get to that, I need that state thing that you're talking about, but the the SDK is just not written in a way that you can easily do that. You have to, there's all kinds of machinations that you have to do to make that uh, retain some state and you have to make guesses. And the reason that that state is not there, I think, is because the echo does not identify who is speaking. They just know that somebody is speaking and they can figure out what somebody is saying. So maybe a prerequisite to this whole thing is to say, oh, this person is Anders. So then the obvious thing would be, if you will reference the movie Her again, uh, it's just like a, a Bluetooth headphone that you pop into your ear. You pop it in there and... Now, clearly, it, it's always me because it's in my ear. And if I take it out, it's not, you know, I, I can't hear you anymore. So we're done. And if it gets put in another ear, maybe you have to authenticate. And as soon as you do and you say who it is, then you don't have to figure that out. So I think there are ways around that. And that's why I think we'll see this. Like, I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen this yet. Um, I think we'll see this very, very soon where you will be able to have a contextual long-term conversation with a device. Um, you know, there are ways to get around figuring out who it is and dealing with the identity. I mean, you could do it with the Apple watch for goodness sake. It knows when yep. it's being taken off. So I think there are ways around it. Um, it's just a question of, uh, of time and certainly with, uh, Amazon's echo and Siri and Cortana and the rest of them, it, it has everything to do with like, oh, this is a mass market product that's got to work for many, many, many millions of people. So we're not going to see the cutting edge stuff there. We'll see it at the media lab across the street here at MIT. Uh, and, uh, you know, in a year, then we'll finally see like some rudimentary version of it rolled out, uh, when they solve some of these core, uh, uh, identity problems, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. So this, this is show number 97. We wow. are now three away from our 100th show. Uh, and I got to believe that our 100th show, like our 50th show, 
is going to be we're going to be doing some movie stuff and all of that. But uh, yeah, so it's going to be awesome. We are. Uh, it is going to be awesome, and and we're going to get there sooner than we got to show ninety seven. <laughs> I hope so. Absolutely, this has been yeah. a lot of fun. Otherwise, otherwise, but the next time we have a show, we'll already be we'll have that device you were just talking about if we're on our current pace. That's true. We will see it. Uh, that's my prediction. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks everybody for listening and uh, tune in next time for another uh, discussion where we talk about everything and none of it makes sense. Till then.